0: Before we begin today's episode, I wanted to give some background on GU Politics for those who might not be familiar. More formally known as the Institute of Politics and Public Service, GU Politics was founded as part of the McCourt School, launching in the fall of 2015. Through GU Politics, students at McCourt and throughout Georgetown are able to interact and have valuable conversations with practitioners located right here in Washington, D.C. It's part of what makes it really cool to be part of the Georgetown and McCourt community. Speaking of the founding of McCourt, GPPR has some exciting news. As part of the launch of our spring theme on October 2nd at 6 p.m., Frank McCourt will be delivering a keynote address. We encourage anyone who's able to join us for the reveal of our theme and to hear Mr. McCourt. Again, that date is October 2nd at 6 p.m. And now on to the show.
1: This is Inakshi, one of the two senior interview editors at GPPR. We are joined today by our distinguished uh, Fall 2018 fellows in a freewheeling conversation about their experiences, thoughts, and expectations. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for choosing to be our GeoFall18 Fellows. As a fellow, you will each lead a discussion group and a student strategy team. So could you just brief on how you want to take the teams forward or what are the kind of topics you wish to discuss with your students? Let's start with Josh.
2: Sure. Thanks for having us today. We're really excited, all of us, I think, to be here. Uh, my name is Josh Pickock. I'm currently uh, at Oracle Corporation in their government affairs office here in Washington, uh, serving as a lobbyist. Before going to Oracle, I worked for about a little over 12 years for Mike Pence in different capacities. So when he was in Congress, um, when he was governor, I worked on his campaigns. And then, of course, at the White House. So I'm going to take my discussion group and use all of those experiences to try to talk to students about all the different things, places where they can work in public service, policy, campaigns, government. Mm
1: -hmm. That's impressive. Let's move over to Suzanne.
3: I am also very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm Suzanne Kianpour uh, and I'm with the BBC. I cover foreign affairs and politics, national security. And I uh, am going to be shaping our discussion groups around uh, the idea and topic of media's responsibility in public service and holding people in power accountable. And um, I'm really looking forward to not only kind of sharing my experiences with students, but also hearing what students as consumers of news and as the next generation of potentially journalists, I hope, Journalists, um, getting their ideas on what we can be doing better in the current climate.
1: That's such a significant topic to mm-hmm. to discuss. <laughs> what about you?
4: Uh, my name is Ed Goas, and uh, I'm president, and CEO of the Terrence Group, a Republican polling and strategy team. Um, I've been with the firm uh, for over thirty years. I've worked in professional politics for going on 45 years, and that doesn't count the 10 years between 12 and 22 that, uh, uh, that I worked in campaigns kind of growing up. Um, my subject matter is going to be uh, civility in politics, or some might say the incivility in politics. Um, and we're gonna use the eight sessions to kind of explore different pieces of who's responsible for taking us to the level of incivility that we have in politics today. Um, I think so many, um, so many of the people in our industry are no longer looking at it as public service um, and get wrapped up in the give and take and the battles of, of politics. Um, and I think, quite frankly, the, the country is in a death spiral. Uh, with the bar being lowered year after year after year. We certainly saw it in the last two years being lowered a great deal. And so we're gonna explore that. Uh, My interest is that uh, I wanna see it coming from the bottom up in terms of millennials. Um, I'm here as much to learn from them as maybe they come to learn from me and I think it's gonna be an exciting eight weeks.
1: Absolutely. And Tim? Great,
0: Uh, my name is Tim Lim. Uh, Really excited to to be a fellow this uh, semester. Um, I run my own political consulting firm for democratic uh, candidates and causes. Uh, Before that, for about six years, I was a partner at Bully Pulpit Interactive, uh, which is the largest uh, democratic digital marketing firm um, in the country. Uh, We were the agency of record for Hillary for America, Obama for America, uh, priorities, a lot of super PACs, and and a lot of the campaigns. that's my focus is on digital campaigning uh, there's a lot of uh, stories and talk um, this past uh, presidential cycle about Facebook and Twitter Russia Trump uh, and so you know what what I want to go into and delve into a bit is digital campaigning you know get um, input and feedback and how effective how, how students are using digital today I mean for a lot of the students digital is not really digital it's just media. It's how people communicate. It's how people consume news. Um, For a lot of the political consultants, uh, they don't see that and they don't realize it. And so um, making sure that we can close that gap and realize that, you know, media consumption is drastically different than what it was even just four years ago. Uh, And then figuring out how to engage with voters in a better way.
1: So this is going to be a very happening season for us here. And this goes for all of you here. What changes in ideologies and processes would you expect today's youth to bring about in the way politics, uh, governance, and institutions shape up uh, in the future? How do you foresee that?
2: I think that none of us are obviously as young as you all. And even as we try to use phones and social media and new technology, we're not as adept and we didn't grow up with it the way that people of your generation did. So I think you're going to bring a whole different level of, um, I don't know if the word's digital or social or whatever the word is, um, engagement to government, to politics, to public service, uh, to policy that we don't necessarily, like, we're at the cusp of now, but we're not there yet. And so I think that's really what you guys will um, bring to the table.
3: From a journalism standpoint, um we in the media are constantly struggling with uh, the question of are we reaching the younger audience? Uh, I I think especially with kind of what happened with 2016 and now the big question around things like fake news, um, the idea of making sure that information, factual information gets to all parts of the population especially the younger generation is really important so I think that um, you know this is going to be really beneficial for me for example in my discussion groups to hear how students actually consume news from where do they get their news mm-hmm. what are they looking for what attracts them what's your take on that it
4: um, I come at it from a somewhat different standpoint um, uh, in campaigns, we always talk about strategy uh, and we talk about tactics. Um, tactics being what is how you deliver your message to, once you decide who is going to vote for you and why, or who you're trying to get to vote for you and why, um, you then decide the tactics on how you deliver that message. And so uh, I am much less focused on the means of communicating as much as where they are strategically, message wise. Um, what I've been saying with the millennials, and there's, I think there's two major questions, not where they think they are, but where traditionally they would move. One is that statistics have shown that if you vote for the same presidential party, your first three elections, presidential elections, 79% of those people stay with that party the rest of their lives. And the thing you have with millennials is they've gone through those three elections, many of them have, uh, switching parties voting Republican one time, maybe for Bush, and voting for Obama, or vice versa, or Obama and voting for Trump. So we don't know whether that statistic is going to remain true. If it does, it means we're going to have a pocket of voters in the millennials um, that, not because they're disassociated from government, but just because they have gone back and forth, uh, they may remain independent, very independent, in their voting the rest of their lives. The other is that we know from studies that as you get married, as you have children, as you buy a home, as you, as you start going to church more for your children as opposed to what your own, own beliefs may be, um, that as you move into those categories, you vote more, and you also are more conservative in terms of your vote. Um, with millennials, and we see this on the, on the top end of millennials, they are marrying later, they're having children later, they're buying homes later. So there hasn't been that traditional move from being a little bit more liberal to a little bit more uh, conservative. Uh, We don't know whether it's going to be delayed or whether, in fact, that will happen when they begin getting married and having children and and buying houses. So watching that is very close. Uh, Where it comes back to looking at civility is in this environment, their exposure to politics, um, is that much more uncivil? Um, And is that making them a more cynical voter? Which ironically, my belief, is the more cynical you are as a voter, the more easily manipulated you are by demagogues. And we've seen a little bit of that in recent years. So it's going to be a very interesting discussion kind of going through talking about this with millennials.
0: Uh, this is, I, I think you can tell, this is a topic that uh, the four of us, in particular, have been—we actually been talking about this a lot in the past 24 hours. Um, uh, and I'll—I come at it a different stance. Um, I, you know, I—I I, I come at a different stance mostly because, um, you know, at, this is this is as my profession is something that I have to study and I have to spend a lot of time understanding what the media consumption um, habits are of. Folks like myself, I'm a millennial, right? I'm you know 33, I'm married, have a kid, pay mortgage, you know, pay taxes, um, but you know, consultants um, in the in political campaigns and consultants um, that are making big decisions don't see a difference between myself and uh, 18-year-old college student who's not millennial, right? 18 to 20 are, are actually Gen Z, they're Gen, Gen they're Z generation, so. You know, what was prevalent for me and the way that I uh, have consumed information, which was where the, the, the rise of social media and the rise of Internet is completely different for someone who is a freshman in college uh, who doesn't have cable, who doesn't understand, like, why, you know, what are, what are broadcast TV shows, why what's ABC, what's CBS. I get, you know, I, I'm on Hulu, I'm on Netflix, I'm watching, you know, I have YouTube stars that I have, I'm looking into, I'm on social media platforms that most people, even five, 10 years older than me, don't even know about. And so the way that people, I think, from my observations and from a lot of folks who do digital marketing, what we're seeing is that a lot of, the, a lot of folks who are younger, when I say younger, 24 and under, mm-hmm. is that um, they're curating right, their news feeds. They're curating how they get their information. And it's not that they will listen to Chuck Todd or Chris Lee or they're gonna go to CNN or NBC, they have figured out or they're 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 picking and choosing who they're gonna to listen to and who they trust. So this question about trust and information sources and how you know the information is going to get consumed, I think it's becoming really fractured and that it's giving, you know, the it also gives the chances for the Alex Joneses and, and the demagogues that Ed brought up uh, an equal platform to have as much as the CNNs and the MSBCs of the world. And so we have to observe that. We have to watch it, and I think that it's only going to get crazier, right? I think that the media is going to only fracture even more, and that you're going to everyone's going to become a publisher, right? Everyone is going to be a, a news publisher, and in that type of environment, how can you break a message through? How can you break a narrative through? Uh, and how can you know fact versus fiction or fake news break through? In reality, I think that the idea that there is going to be one true source or one truth is going to be contested a lot, and there's going to be a lot of different news or a lot of different uh, interpretations that we're gonna have to just deal with that situation. And that's gonna be hard. It's gonna make make civility really hard.
4: Well, I'm sorry.
0: Please, yeah. And, And
4: it does bring up, I mean, what we've seen in recent years with MSNBC and CNN and Fox, Is people are selectively going to just that one cable news. They're only hearing one point of view. And that has only added to the polarization, only added to the incivility, uh, because they, uh, you know, demagogues can be beyond just candidates. It could be demagoguery in the party, it could be demagoguery from from media celebrities on those different things.
2: But I I think to the point of your question, where we sit around and maybe at our offices, we always have CNN or Fox or MS on or something, right? People of your generation and when you're in your dorm rooms or your apartments, um, or if you're working out and you're listening to a podcast, you're getting your news in total different ways. And so, I don't know, maybe hypothetically, because you have such a diffuse way of of intaking, you'll get less bias. I don't know, I mean, it's, it's potential that because you've picked what you like, so you're picking that way. But I have the sense that people of the younger generation are also very open. And they may come in with certain viewpoints, but they're also willing to listen to the other side. And I don't think that when you're on your phone or you're searching for podcasts or you're looking on YouTube for what you're you know wanting to watch that you're shutting out the other side? I get the sense that that people, especially the younger generation, are very open because you've always had this information bombardment as as you've grown up.
1: Right, with all the information that's out there and uh, people being open, now it depends on how they are uh, taught to focus on some information and consume information. That's the onus Mm -hmm. that lies on the older generation. Uh, This I would probably direct to Ed and Suzanne. Uh, So at the present, juncture of instances of uh, governance failures and waning a public trust in institutions. Leaders seem to be sending out signals of polarization and divisibility more than ever before. Going back to the paramount purpose of institutions to organize and unify the society, how do you reconcile, uh, sort of build a bridge between people's expectations and what leaders end up delivering?
3: Well, from a objective journalism, nonpartisan journalism standpoint, which is what the BBC is required to be and is happy to be, um, we make sure, go to extreme the extreme extent to make sure that all sides are represented. And that doesn't mean two sides. There are often more than just two sides to any situation and any story. Um, so really the only thing that we can do as a platform of kind of objectivity is to make sure that, okay, if if said leader wants to portray, you know, said potentially divisive rhetoric, it's it's balanced by the other side. Uh,
4: I, again, come at it somewhat differently. Um, First of all, I, I do put some of the blame on where we are today on the news media because they have, over the last decade or so, become just absorbed with this thought of distrust of government, Um, and they they have given platforms to candidates to build their campaigns on distrust of government. Um, The thing I disagree with on that is that our country was based on a basic distrust of government. That is a basic principle that we want every one of our citizens to have, is never take government at its word, always distrust, are they serving you well? Um, I think where we are is a period of time where, and I've, I've struggled, I mean, I've dealt with hundreds, if not thousands, of congressional congressmen, senators, governors over the last 45 years, and so many of them don't understand the basic principle of problem solving, that you talk about the problem, you talk about solutions, you implement solutions, and that always creates a new set of problems. And, and because they don't spend enough time focusing on what the problem is, mm-hmm. and is it gonna create, is their solution gonna create more problems? I think we are in a period of time that, um, that we are dealing with problems created by our solutions. And the American public sees that. they sees, They see that you're not dealing with the root problem. That's where the frustration of the American public comes from, and that's the knot that we have to kind of unravel, kind of going forward, if we are going to get trust back that we're truly dealing with problems that address their everyday life.
3: But that's the American people have to recognize that themselves, and the only way they'll recognize that is if they see that, you know, in in whatever media platform that they're sure. consuming their news on. So what what a grievance that it seems to me that you might have with the media is that the media is taking this distrust and editorializing it and giving an opinion on, like, for, oh my God, the country, you know, this group of the population distrusts distrusts the media or distrusts politics, whereas it should be this part of the country or this part of the population distrusts their government
4: Period. And and, and don't misread me. I said the the press is focused on that, not that the candidates haven't grabbed that and run with it. And they're the ones that take that anger and turn it into cynicism by creating the bad guy being the government or the establishment or whoever they're pointing it at. And again, I feel very strongly that the most easily manipulated voter is a cynical voter by demagogues who come along and say just what they want to hear.
1: It was nice having you here, and we really look forward to a great semester and a lot of happenings around we look forward to catching up with you again thank Absolutely. you we look thank forward you. to coming
0: back thank you yes, so much sure.